everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today you are listening to episode 58. I'm talking with Teal Burrell. It's an interesting story how I met Teal. She actually reached out to me for an article she was writing for Runner's World about running through pregnancy. So then I looked her up online and found out that Teal herself, well, she was pregnant with her first child, but also she went from a four-hour marathon to a 242 marathon. Now her four-hour marathon she ran in college, so I understand that's like a kind of a different time in your life, but then she started training and she ended up running a 328. And then she took that 328 all the way down to 242, which is just crazy. And you know, after I finished talking with Teal, she really had me motivated and inspired to chase big dreams. And one thing I, I really loved what she said, and I, I tweeted this and I put it up on Instagram. She said, I knew that if I set this really outlandish and ambitious goal, that even if I never made it, I would get better. I love that so much. A, I love that she wasn't scared to set big goals. B, I love that she wasn't scared to share her big goals. And C, I love the thought that, okay, even if I don't make it, I'm still gonna get a lot better. I love that, that was so, so good. She also has her doctorate in neuropsychology and she is a freelance writer. So she writes a lot about running and a lot about science and actually she also just had her baby girl like two weeks ago. So congratulations, Teal. I won't give any more away about the episode. I'll let you guys listen to our conversation. So before we get started talking with Teal, listen up. I'm going to do something really fun. I'm going to do an experiment. So I'm going to do a call-in show. So make sure you check the, if you're driving or running or whatever, you don't need to go write this down, but make sure you check the show notes for this because uh, I want you to write this down and I want you to call me. So next Friday, so that's Friday, April 14th at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time, I'm going to be sitting in front of my computer taking calls from listeners. I want you to call and ask me anything about my podcast, about running, about mom stuff, being married to another marathoner and ultra runner. You guys name it. Whatever you want to ask me, call me up. I'll answer and we're going to put it together in a show. So it's going to be a lot of fun. The way you call me is on Skype. I know you're, you're going to have to dust off your Skype password from like 2005. All of my guests have to do it. So you are not alone. My Skype name is Lindsay. Hein. So L-I-N-D-S-E-Y dot H-E-I-N. Call me up, ask me anything you want, and I'll answer, and then we will get it up on an episode for the podcast. I have two fears here. My first fear is that nobody's going to call. So somebody call me, please, next Friday, April 14th at 12.30 Eastern Time. So that's my first fear is that nobody's going to call. So somebody call, write it down. And then my second fear is that, like, many people will call and I won't be able to answer all the calls. It's a good fear, I guess, because that would be a great thing. I doubt that's going to happen, but hey, dream big, right? All right, so next Friday, April 14th, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, call in for the call-in show and ask me your questions. And I'm going to try to keep each call to like, you know, a shorter like 5-10 minute call. I want I'm try to keep keep it rolling so we can get as many people in as possible. All right, guys, if you're loving the show or liking the show, I would appreciate it if you would leave me a rating and review on iTunes. It's the best way for potential new listeners to find us over here. And what I want to do is grow this community. The more people we have, the more fun it is. And if you're looking up ways to support the show, you can, here are a couple simple ways to do that. 
Um, you can head over to my Patreon page, patreon.com slash There's a new bonus episode for you every single month if you're a Patreon supporter. And right now there's three episodes loaded up in there and I'm recording my fourth next week. Patreon.com slash Another way you can support the show is just sharing the show with your friends on social media or sending them an email, just telling people about the show. That's huge. And then there's one other way. There's probably more ways, but that I can think of right now. There's one other way you can support the show. And that's by supporting one of the sponsors of the show. Our sponsor for this episode is Now Foods. Now Foods has been a leader in the natural food health industry since 1968. They have sports nutrition, vitamins, essential oils, food, actual food, pet health, all kinds of great stuff. I personally buy their products. I believe in what they're doing. Each and every one of you can get 25% off your next order. If you guys just go to now-2-u.com, enter the promo code another all caps to get 25% off your next order. So if you're due for vitamins or you wanna try a new protein powder, I highly recommend their plant protein complex. It has a good flavor, the ingredients work well for me. And you can even just get your multivitamins from them. Let's go to now-2-u.com to save 25% off your next order by using the promo code another all caps. By supporting Now Foods, you are directly supporting this podcast. I wanna thank you guys all for your support over this past year, believe it or not, this April is exactly one year since I launched this podcast. So without you guys, the listeners, I would definitely not still be doing this. So just really enjoying this community that's been created. And I'm thankful for each one of you who listen every week or for those of you who have just listened to a few episodes. I appreciate all of you. So, all right, guys, let's go ahead and get started talking with Teal. Enjoy. Hey, Teal. Hey. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for doing this on a whim. Sure. <laughs> this is so fun. And I, had, I just had to go refill my coffee because I am literally on my, I'm not exaggerating, probably my fifth cup of coffee today. So I'm just like buzzing. Yeah. <laughs> my, um, all three of my children, we were awake last night at two. Like one of oh. them was crying because the other one woke him up. One of them was hungry because he's four months. He was eating. And the other one was running around looking for a toy. So, <laughs> like, all right. Well, this day is going to be fueled by coffee for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, you guys, Teal is – so this is really interesting how we connected. Teal was writing an article for Runner's World about running through pregnancy and running, you know, while you're pregnant. And uh, – I have some experience with that. So she reached out to me and um, she recently put the article together for that. And then um, I think I tweeted the article and you favorited the tweet. Yeah, I think so. And so then I clicked on your profile. I hadn't, I didn't know you on Twitter. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I started reading your blog and I'm like, holy crap, your running story is incredible. (laughs) Thank you. So do you want to kind of, and so then I immediately reached back out to her and I was like, I'd love to have you on the podcast. So can you kind of just tell everybody a little bit about yourself, where you grew up and all that? Sure. Um, So I grew up in South Jersey, kind of near Atlantic City, about an hour from Philly, and um, hated running as a kid. Both my brother and sister ran. They were really great runners in, in high school, and I thought it was like the most boring sport in the world because my parents would drag me to their meets. And I was like, this is just, this is so stupid. Um, but then somehow, and I'm still not sure how this happened. My sister convinced me that I should run in high school and, um, I I loved it. Um, she was obviously very right about that. And, um, so I ran in high school, 
it wasn't anything special. Um, so then I didn't really run in college. I just kind of wanted to do the college thing and not be a collegiate athlete. And I wasn't really very good. So, um, that would have been a lot to ask anyway. So then, um, but I was in college and I, and I just completely stopped running. Like it turns out I don't run unless I have a race on the calendar or something. So I decided I wanted to run a marathon because I figured that would get me going again. And so I ran my first marathon when I was a sophomore in college and I finished in a 407, which I was, you know, totally, totally respectable time. I was psyched that I completed it. So then I just stopped running again. Um, and then after college, after I graduated, I kind of had like more of a, a routine, a schedule. And so I decided I wanted to try again with a big goal. And so I moved to Boston and wanted to get back into marathoning and uh, decided I wanted to try and qualify for Boston, which I thought would take a couple tries um, and would be kind of a goal that lasted a while. And I, and I totally surprised myself and qualified on my second marathon, um, ran a 3.28. So then I ran Boston and by then I was totally hooked and just wanted to keep running and, and doing marathons and trying to get better. And I I knew I needed like another big goal to kind of motivate me. Um, and so uh, this was in 2009. And in 2008, I had actually watched the women's um, U.S. Olympic trials in the marathon. They had been in Boston. And um, I was just so um, blown away by the women in that race. At that time, I didn't like follow running uh, very much. And I knew that there was like these elite, you know, professional athletes like Dina Castor, uh, was the favorite and, and won that race. And I knew that there was like a, a crop of women like that, that were like, you know, the LeBron James of, of mm -hmm. the running community. But then there was like 150 women after that who had like normal jobs. <laughs> and I was just like, who are these people? They're amazing. And Runner's World had actually done like a, a, um, an article about some of them and like talked about like how, you know, they, they're just regular women that are just like so incredibly fast. And I was just like, this is so incredible. This is like so amazing. And so then a year later when I was thinking, oh, I've, I've qualified for Boston. I've run Boston. Like, what's next? I was like, could I be one of those women in the trials? And this is like, <laughs> this was crazy. I mean, I had taken already like 40 minutes off my time. I had um, in Boston, I ran a, a 318. And so I had continued to improve. So I was maybe a little cocky, but I knew <laughs> that it was going to be really hard to, to try to be, you know, one of these women. But I just decided let's go for it. Let's see what happens. And I knew that if I, you know, set this really outlandish and ambitious goal that even if I never made it, like I would get better, mm -hmm. um, just along the way. And so I, and so I went for it. And in, um, in 2012, I started a blog called miles to the trials where I like t actually told people I was going to do this crazy thing. And then in 2014, I qualified and just really sort of validated myself and the name of my blog and everything I kept yabbering on to people about. <laughs> um, and so then I, I got to run in the trials in 2016. I qualified with a 242. So I basically took an hour and a half off my time or something like that. Yeah. So that's kind of my running story. And, and I try to share it with people, you know, through the blog or however, just because I think that I easily at any point could have been like, that's crazy. I'm not going to do that. Like, that's too hard. That's too fast, whatever. But I just, kind of kept chipping away and believing at it, believing it. And, and, and I was able to do it. So that's my, that's my motivational speech. <laughs> I, I love it. It's so inspiring to me. And I have so many questions because 
I feel like, well, gosh, okay, part of me says this. Part of me, whenever I hear, you know, oh, she qualified for the trials or, you know, some people qualify in their second attempt or whatever. But, I mean, you really, like, you set this goal a long time ago. I mean, and you mm-hmm. you knew it was going to take years. And mm-hmm. you didn't run your first marathon in, like, you know, 255 or even, like, 305. Gosh, like, okay, so right now, for instance, my marathon PR is 313. Mm-hmm. And I think about that. Like right now, my big goal that I want to chip away at, which you make me think by everything you just said, you're sitting here making me think, of course I can break three. Like, yeah, why, yeah. why can't I set that goal, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. But when I think of sub three, what makes me nervous is I'm like, damn, sub seven minute miles for yeah. 26 miles. But then I looked, I was looking at your progression and then I was like looking at the the pace per mile you were running in each of these races, like, you know, you went down to a 250, what, like 254, 252, and then mm-hmm. you took out that big chunk. I mean, isn't that like 620 a mile? 242 is, is 612, I think. Okay. Yeah. When you were, okay, so when you set that goal and you would run a 318, and that pace per mile is essentially like, what, 730 or something? Yeah, I don't know off the top of my it's head. something probably. like that. <laughs> How did you grasp that? Like, were you ever like, Ugh. oh, like I haven't even run a half marathon at that pace. How am yes. I going to do this? Yeah, um, I think, well, first of all, I didn't, I don't know that I really thought about the pace that logically. Um, <laughs> When I set the goal in 2009, like I said, I, I thought it was a cool goal, but not like, you know, I didn't really know if I would ever get there. And then as I progressed, it became more and more realistic. But in 2009, I didn't even know what the standard would be. So back then, I think it was like a 248 or something. So uh-huh. it was a little bit slower. Um, and I just didn't think about it. I just kind of thought, well, if I can chip away and run a 310, and then if I can run, you know, if I could run a 310, well, then maybe I can run a three, you know, 259. And then if I can run a 259, like, why not go for it? So it's more like I was always looking at it stepwise mm-hmm. rather than like, I'm going to have to run, you know, like you said, faster than my half marathon pace. Um, but even towards the end, like I remember, um, I qualified in the fall of, um, 2014. And I remember like having this moment, I was just like walking down the street thinking about like before the race happened, thinking about like, okay, I want to, I want to go for it this race and, um, you know, training's going well, whatever. And then I was like, oh my God, that's a six twelve mile. Like <laughs> that is insane. And I literally like stopped on the sidewalk and was like, what am I thinking? Like that is so fast. And I just had this like breakdown of like, this is impossible. Um, but then I just kind of like, I don't know, tried to just put that out of my mind and, and not, you know, think about it and just kind of do what, you know, the training had told me I could do. And, and kind of be a little bit delusional and not <laughs> not overthink it because even then when my PR I think then was like I don't know maybe six twenty something pace uh-huh. um, I still it still felt like really fast yeah um, because you went from two fifty two to two forty two right yeah 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 I mean that's a I mean at that speed that is a huge chunk yeah. So that, that was another thing that I think, um, my progression kind of shows, like you reminded me saying like, you want to go for sub three. I had a couple of races, um, both when I was just trying to break three hours for the first time. And then when I was trying to break, uh, to get the standard to run, uh, 242, I like had a bunch of races where I didn't run as well as I thought I would. Like when I was trying to break three, I think, um, I ran 
like a, I ran another 318, then I ran a 314, and then I ran a 320. And like, I just, like each of those races, I thought like I had a 315 in me. I thought I had a 310 in me. I thought I had a 305 in me. And I just like, wasn't quite, um, getting it right on race day. Cause the marathon is so like, it's kind of so <laughs> evil in that, uh-huh. you know, you only have one day and maybe if you're going to race it all out in like maybe six months. So things don't always go perfectly, but I just, um, I just sort of believed that like the training was still there, even if I hadn't run as well as, as I had thought I could on race day. And so then I ended up going from a 314 to, to a 259. And then the same thing again with, like you said, the 242. At that point, I had this like wall of, of 252. Like I ran, I think I ran a 253, a 252, a 259, and then 242. And it was like, it seems like, it's a lot to take off like 10 minutes at that point, um, having run so many marathons before, but really it was like an accumulation of season after season of, of having the training behind me and, Mm -hmm. and knowing that I could run well, I just wasn't racing well on the day. But so in my mind, it felt like when I ran a 242, it felt like I should have already run like a 247. Uh Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's like you knew perfectly well that some of those 252s or whatever, your body was physically trained for a faster race. It just didn't happen on race day. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And you know, that's really encouraging to a lot of people because yeah, I mean, a marathon is so, the stars have to align, right? Like Mm -hmm. the weather needs to be great. The wind needs to not be so crazy. Your GI needs to be like happy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and you just have to have an on day. I mean, that's, it's so crazy. You could be in the middle of your menstrual cycle and just have a day where your body is like, and that's the day. Yeah. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what I always try to tell myself and tell other people, like when they have, you know, frustrating races and they know that they could do better is like the training is still there. Like when, you know, you're going to take some time off after your marathon and you're going to come back and run again and you're not going to be back to where, you know, you're not starting from zero, right? You're starting off having done all the work from the last season and, and knowing that you can run these paces and workouts and that you can, you know, hit a certain mileage or whatever it is. And, and it's, it's hard because, you know, you have to kind of tell yourself something where you don't necessarily have the evidence to back it up. But it's definitely true that, you know, those things carry over. And, um, and also, like, I always felt like, for both of those examples I gave for trying to break three and for trying to qualify, I, um, the day I broke three or the day I, qu- I qualified, those marathons were both after like two of my worst marathons to date. Mm-hmm. Like the two times, two of the times I didn't PR and I ran like 10 or more mm-hmm. minutes slower than I thought I would. And coming back from that and like being so disappointed and so mad, like it makes you a little hungrier mm-hmm. and it makes you want to fight a little harder. And so like every time I've had a really bad race, I followed it up with, my best race to date. So I think like not only is the training still there, but if you can turn that frustration into motivation, then, you know, that, that'll help you as well. Now, have you had a coach at all during this time? Yeah. So I was self-coached for, I don't know, the whole beginning of my marathoning career. Um, And then in the summer of 2012, I joined a team in Washington, DC called Georgetown Running Club. And, um, I have a coach uh, through that, and he has a lot of athletes, and we all sort of um, have different levels of, what would I say, of how much we rely on him. So I still 
you know, would kind of make my own plan in terms of the mileage I was running or what long workouts I was doing or the tempo runs I was doing or something like that. Um, but he uh, would direct all my track workouts and the team gets together once a week to do the track workouts together. So he's there and, and he like completely runs those. And then, you know, I turned to him for like advice, like, oh, this run was terrible and this is why. And he's like, don't worry about it. You know, he's always very <laughs> encouraging. Um, so it's sort of like a little bit where I make my own schedule and a little bit where, you know, he's writing some of the workouts and he's there to kind of, um, you know, keep me sane when I'm like, oh my God, I can't do this. <laughs> this is crazy or, you know, whatever. Did you find that, so when you qualified for uh, the trials at the, do people call it CIM? Is that, I mean, or, yeah. okay, is that how you say it? I say CIM. Okay, because yeah. I know it's California International Marathon, but I never yeah, know what people call it. <laughs> right. Um, and I see, I was like, you know, stalking around on your blog, and I see your weekly average mileage was 70, and your highest weekly was 83. So mm -hmm. did you find that once you got into that, like, sub-3 and then, you know, sub-250 training zone that you really needed to be up there? I mean, that's up there, but it's not like, you know, you see some people running, like, 90, 100-mile weeks. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, yeah, that's really uh, interesting that you brought that up because – I really wanted it to be higher. <laughs> um, I somehow, and I don't know how I got this in my mind, but I got it in my mind that the women who qualify for the trials run 90 mile weeks. Mm. So I just kept trying to increase it and increase it and um, get to that magical, <laughs> totally made up 90 mile uh, week amount. Um, and then I ended up getting hurt and just like feeling really flat. And um, so I just kind of like, cut back a bit, um, and, and ended up right around 70 and that worked for me. And it kind of like, I don't know, it told me that like everybody's different and you mm -hmm. know, it, there's no point in running these extra miles if they're not quality miles and all these things that people talk about. So I always wanted to be a higher mileage runner than I am, even though 70 is really high for some people. So it's just like this warp thing I have in my mind, but I felt like it took a little bit of, um, uh, kind of back and forth to figure out what worked for me. So I, I gradually increased up to 70. And I think probably, um, I don't remember how much I was running when I broke three, but I had steadily increased until that point. So I, I kind of needed more mile mileage, weekly mileage just to get to that point. But then I went a little too far and, and ended up finding 70 as kind of my happy medium. With the 70 miles, I do like one really long run a week and then one kind of medium long run a week. And then, you know, maybe a workout or two. And I think like, I need all of those elements to to run well. So I think less, I probably wouldn't run well, and then more, yeah, I, I end up injured or or just kind of feeling, um, you know, overtrained, like you can't mm -hmm. run fast. When you say midweek long run, are you talking like 14 miles? Yeah, it's usually um, a 15-miler 15, 15 at uh, kind of like the, the peak of my training. So I base a lot of my training on the Advanced uh, Marathoning book. Uh -huh. um, I love that book. Yeah. So I started using that, oof, I don't know, actually, <laughs> um, I started using that a while ago and I've, and I really liked it and they have different, um, you know, different schedules for what kind of mm -hmm. mileage you're at. Um, and so, you know, I started off with like the 50 mile range and then I went up to the 70 mile range and, and I really like it and I've tweaked, you know, what I do since right. then to, to figure out what works for me in terms of the actual workouts. But I do really like that midweek 15 miler is like my favorite run of the whole week for some reason. Because the pace doesn't really matter, but it's long enough where you're feeling, you know, like 
pretty good about it. I'm like, oh, I just ran 15 miles before work. Like, <laughs> right. yeah, I don't know. I just, I, um, I always really liked that. That was, that's one of my favorites. So my husband, I haven't used that, uh, book for myself too much yet, just because I've had babies and surgeries a lot in the last three years. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping that 2017 is my year to kind of, you know, train seriously for a fall marathon. But my husband has used that book very religiously and he ran 249 was his best marathon and mm. he used that and he was very very frequently doing those midweek 14 15 yeah. runs that you're talking about and I think yeah. he peaked out about the same as you so I'm going to make him listen to this interview and I'm going to be like look um yeah I think his I think his most recent not the 240 yeah the 249 I think probably he could have on a different day gone down to like 245 but um yeah I mean this is crazy. I'm just, your marathon progression is just, it's wigging me out, man. It's making me think I can do more than I ever realized. Well, yes, exactly. That's the point. That's why I wanted to share it. I like, um, you know, people will comment on, you know, like just meeting me and, and being like, oh my God, you qualify for the Olympic trials. Like I could never do that. I run four hours. And I was like, I used to run four hours. Like just yeah. believe in yourself. And, and people will say something like, oh, I could never qualify for Boston because I run whatever. And I'm like, Yes, you could. I mean, obviously it takes a level of commitment and time commitment that, you know, like not everybody granted has, but, um, I really think that people put artificial limits on themselves and think, oh no, I could never be that fast because it seems crazy now. But if you just kind of take it stepwise and, and, you know, one marathon at a time, you'd, you'd surprise yourself. Well, and I think that's a really good point too, because right. I mean, you, you say, so you went from a 314 to 259 and so in my head, I'm thinking, well, maybe I could do that too. But I think it stress it can be stressful if you think about mm-hmm. that big chunk. So it's like, yeah. why not go sub 310 and then right. go sub 306? And, you know, it's like, yeah. why think that you have to do it in your very next race? Because truthfully, you probably won't. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. And and I was looking at some of your, your um, workouts um, and your training, what are, what are some of your favorite key speed sessions that kind of give you that mental, you know, when you're in the middle of a race and you're like, and you know, you're mile 18, you're like, shit, mm-hmm. like, am I going to be able to pull this off? Like, do you, are there workouts you think back on that? You're like, okay, I, I executed that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, the most important one for me, uh, just in terms of confidence and, and mentally, you know, thinking you can do this crazy thing is just a, a long run with a big chunk of your miles at marathon pace. So I think advanced marathoning, they might do like 14 miles at, at, um, pace. So that might be their max, but basically what you do is you run, say, uh, a 20 miler and you do kind of a longish warm up, like maybe four, five miles. And then you run you know, 14 or 16 miles at your goal pace and then do like a two mile cool down. And it is a hard, hard workout mm-hmm. because, you know, 14 miles or whatever at race day pace when you're by yourself and it's not a race is, mm-hmm. is tough. Um, and then the cool down miles, you'd basically like crawling along, but, um, it's such a powerful workout. And I ended up actually, the way I do it is I do 16 miles at pace. So I'll, I'll build up over the season. I might start at like eight and then do, um, know 11 and then 14 and then 16 and space them out like three weeks in between or something like that so you build up I actually think I'm not sure those numbers 
build up quickly. But anyway, you build up and um, eventually like maybe a month before the race day, you do, I do 16 miles at pace and it's really tough and it's hard, but I know that if I can nail that workout that I can nail the race because throughout the, like before CIM, what I was thinking is I did this, I did this workout 16 miles at 612, you know, by myself, um, just on some random Saturday. And I knew that over the season I had like added three miles at a time to this workout and kept hitting it. And so I knew like, okay, I could go, I could go 19 miles by myself Mm -hmm. at that pace, like in a workout. And so then that told me like on race day, you're tapered, you have, you know, at CIM, I used a a pace team. Um, there's people around you, there's, you know, it's, it's the adrenaline of the race. So that gives you a little bit extra. And then I always tell myself, if you get to like mile, you know, 20 or 22 or whatever, like you can't give up then you're so close. So I just kind of told myself based on 16 miles in a workout, I could do 19, I could do 22. And like, that's what got me through the race. Like thinking, like I knew that I could run for a really long chunk of time at this pace. Um, and so I think that that workout is by far the best, um, marathon predictor, um, and just confidence builder. And I have, um, I've started coaching a couple athletes now and I have them do, um, a shorter version, like maybe 12 or or 14 or something. And they're always like, well, I could only do 14. Like, how am I going to turn that into 26? And I'm like, you will, because it's, because it's a race. And because, you know, the race day has so much more, like I said, you're tapered and you're excited and there's, there's people around and there's music. But I just think that that having the confidence and also like the, um, just like the muscle memory of your legs running at a certain pace for mm-hmm. so long, like that's really important to do, um, to do some work at the, at the pace you're going to run, you know, in the race and not just track workouts, which are going to be faster tempo runs, which are going to be faster than marathon pace doing a lot at, at your marathon pace, I think is really powerful. And, you know, people always, I feel like whenever I'm prescribing workouts to people, they always say like, everybody's always so, flabbergasted about how slow I have them do easy runs. Mm, yeah. So can you tell the masses, like, <laughs> how, if you were to go on, like, a midweek, eight-mile easy run, what pace would you run them at? Um, at your level? Probably uh, eight to maybe over eight minutes. I actually, um, maybe eight to 8.30, I started wearing a watch at one point. During my easy runs, I don't think you necessarily should wear a watch. I think you should just run however slow you feel. But I started wearing a watch to make sure I was running slow enough. Yeah. Um, And so I want to make sure that it's over eight-minute pace. So my race pace is 6.12. My easy pace is two minutes slower. Crazy. At least. And and so then what's your race pace for a a half then? I mean, comparatively. Um. That's a good question. What is it? It might be like six oh four. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I um. I'm much better at the marathon than almost all the other distances. So my (laughs) marathon pace, like if you put it in one of those calculators or something, like my half should be faster than it is. Um, as should everything else. My five k is like a joke comparatively, but um, I think I think it's probably like a six oh four pace. But maybe you just need have. I mean, have you just not raced those distances as much, and you're just oh. you need to tune them up? Um, no, you're right. I don't. I don't race five k's that often. Uh, I do race at least one half every season, but it's always like building up to the marathon. So it's never like a peak, or it's not usually a peak race. Um, the marathon is always the peak. Right. So 
probably if I focused on a half for a season, although I, I think I have done this and it's not worked out that well, <laughs> but um, it would be better. I just, I don't know. I just, I love the marathon too much and I just can't, I don't think I have the same commitment to shorter races mm-hmm. when I'm training or, um, or on the day. And, uh, and probably something, you know, I just, I'm, I'm more of an endurance person than, um, than a speedster for sure. Well, it sounds crazy to ask because six twelve is blazing fast, but like, <laughs> do you get more intimidated by those speedier races, like the shorter speedy races? Um, I don't think I get intimidated. I think um, I think maybe it's just that I'm not used to running them. You know, they feel like a 5K feels a lot different than a than a marathon. Obviously, you're like hurting right from the gun, <laughs> and um, I think I just don't quite know how to push myself enough. Like, mm-hmm. like it's a different kind of pain. And a lot of times, I'll finish and I'll think, you know, like 30 seconds before the finish, I'll be like, Oh my god, this is terrible. I feel horrible. And then I finish the 5K, and I'm like. 10 seconds late, not 10 seconds, a minute or two later, I'm like, oh, wait, it's over. Like, I probably could have pushed myself right. a little harder because I'm just not used to that. Whereas, you know, a marathon is a different, it's so much longer and you're pushing yourself for hours. And, and when the race is, you know, 18 minutes long or something, I'm like, oh, oh God, it's, it's over. Like, hmm, maybe I should have tried harder. I, but, yes, I yeah. totally get that. I, the last 5k I raced was this, uh, gosh, it's so like the summer after my second son was born and I was just still getting back in shape. And I specifically remember like slowing down at mile two, like in the middle of mile two, like halfway mark somewhere just to get to the, you know, I have one mile left mark thinking, okay, I can run really fast for like six minutes. And mm-hmm. then I finish, and I'm like, why did I slow down at mile two? Like I literally only had to run two miles. What was I? Yeah. Why wasn't I mentally strong enough to like work through that? And I think it's experience, right? Like, yeah, you're not, if you're not racing five Ks, like five, six, seven, eight times a year, you're not, your body and your mind is not mentally ready for that. Yeah. That pain train for a full three miles. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a different, it's a different kind of pain and a different kind of, I don't know, something. When you were going to CIM and you were like, I want to qualify for the trials. Like it's a 10 minute mm-hmm. PR, but I, you know, you knew in your head, <laughs> you were in shape for close to that several times before were you I mean one thing I'm trying to get get over is this nervous thing and I think I've gotten mm-hmm. a lot better but like were you nervous yes okay <laughs> um yes and the it's funny like I I talk a lot about I think it's so important to believe in yourself and to be confident to do these workouts that will make you feel confident but for sure I have moments of extreme nervousness and you know for all my talk about confidence I I swing to the other side of the of the uh, spectrum very often I remember the day we um we got to California on a Friday the race was a Sunday and on Saturday morning I went for my shakeout run and I was feeling good I was like yes I'm so ready I'm so like I could do this and then all of a sudden I was like you know, I had another one of those like moments where I was like, what? No, I can't. This is crazy. And, and I just like had a panic attack. And, um, my (laughs) husband, like, fortunately was there and was just like, no, you're fine. Like, just, just not, just don't think about it. Like just, um, you know, you're overthinking it. And, um, he just told me to like relax and whatever. And so then I just tried to, to really not think about it because, um, you know, you, you psych yourself out if you think too hard about the pace you're trying to hit or whatever. And I think in the days before the race, you just need to 
try as hard as possible to relax and just kind of go through the motions. And, and, you know, that's why we train. That's why we like, you know, eat the same things on race day as we've done in practice. And that's why we like, you know, if you've gone to enough races, you kind of know what works in terms of what time you get up and, you know, you just kind of like go through the motions and try not to overthink it. Um, or at least that's what I try to do to get over the nerves because I certainly get really nervous. And so I just try to, um, just try to not think about it too much. <laughs> now, did you win that race? No, not oh. at all. Oh, okay. I didn't know how competitive <laughs> the field was there. Yeah. Um, CIM gets a pretty good field and they actually, um, that year. And then I, 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 well, maybe every year, certainly the next year, they, um, put together a, a pace team to try to get men and women to the trials. So okay. we had a guy who was, um, basically paid to run, 242 pace at that or sub 243 pace they changed the standards like a year later it's sort of complicated but oh right I remember that time um the standard was a sub 243 so they had a guy who was you know a pace leader for the 243 pack and they also had a guy doing the uh the same thing for the men and so there was a lot of people around me uh for most of the way a big I called them a swarm of women trying to get to the standard and <clears throat> by the end there was um I think three women still with the pace leader uh, and, and when we finished, but there was quite a few ahead of us. So I might've come in like, I don't know, 20th or something. Um, Man, that is a competitive field. Yeah. But it was really, um, I think one of the reasons I picked the race, well, it's a really great course. They said a lot of people go there to qualify for Boston and things like that. Um, it's net downhill. Um, it's in December. So the weather is usually pretty good. Um, but also because they had this like, uh, incentive for the, for people to try to qualify. I knew if I had like a group around me that it would make it easier than if I was just running by myself. <clears throat> so did you wear a watch or did you just rely on the guy? No, I wore a watch. I actually, um, I wasn't even completely sure. I say that I like picked this race because I wanted to have that, um, pace group as an option, but even like up until the day of the race, I like wasn't sure I was going to go out with them because he had emailed us his plan or something for the paces. And I like, I generally tend to negative split. So I, you know, run the first half slower and then speed up. Not a bad quality to have. <laughs> right. Um, but, um, I, I don't know. I wasn't sure. I forget what his plan that he emailed us was, but I was like not convinced that I liked it <laughs> in mm. terms of his mild, like split plan. So right until that morning, I was like, am I going to go out with this guy or am I going to do my own thing? And, for sure, I wore a watch just in case, like, you know, I got separated from him or I decided that I didn't like his plan or whatever. But right before the gun went off, I was like, screw it. I'm sticking to this guy. Like, I need him to tell me what to do. I'm just going to, like, glue myself to him. And um, the first mile was, like, too fast. And I was like, I don't care. I'm staying with him. <laughs> and and it really, I mean, it really worked in my advantage. Because, like I said, I, I think it helped so much to have a group and to have them there. Um, but I always... Yeah, I always wear a watch. I like, I look at my watch too much, probably. Do you look um, at it every mile or even more? Yes. And actually, I'm remembering now, I, there was a couple miles in that race that I did not look at my watch. And um, I wear a Garmin, but I don't, um, in, in races, I don't use the... Um, oh, the Vibrate. Yeah, I turn that off because it, it just gets inaccurate and it drives me crazy. So yeah. I do the, you know, old school button push. And so when I got home and like was looking at my splits, there was like a bunch of miles. Like I didn't, you know, push the button and I had completely missed because I was just like 
doing whatever this guy did, and I like, didn't care, it's, um, which was a totally different attitude than I normally have at races where I'm like totally looking at it every mile or maybe even more and being like, what am I at? Okay, I'm you know 10 seconds fast or I'm 20 seconds slow or whatever. Um, so, yeah. So when you finished that race, was it, I mean, you had those other three girls that, or was there two other girls or three other girls um, in your group? I think there was two other girls. Well, was that like, did you guys connect with each other like afterwards? Were you all like, you know, like we did it, like we did it together kind of? I, you know, we didn't really. I, um, we sort of got separated in the last like mile or so. I, um, I started freaking out that like I wasn't, we weren't going to make it. I don't know why I thought that. Um, so I kind of went ahead a little bit. And so I ended up qualifying by like, I don't know, 45 seconds. And they qualified by like, you know, 25 seconds or something. So whatever. So I kind of got a little ahead of them. And then, um, at the finish line, like I went to the pacer and I hugged him and I was like, Oh my God, so thankful. Like I was, and I was falling completely just crying, um, everywhere. Cause I'm a crier anyway. And this was a very emotional day. Um, so I saw him and I, you know, said something to him and then, um, I didn't really see the other girls and I actually wrote on one of their blogs at one point and, um, you know, they never said anything back. So I don't, I don't know, but we didn't really connect at all. <laughs> but I think we were all kind of in our own world of emotion and like excitement and, totally. you know, just kind of doing our own celebration. <laughs> so you, then you, you ran in the trials. Yes. And I did. That was a really hot day. <laughs> yes, it was. And <laughs> I am, I mean, it was a hot day for everyone. So right. I don't like want to make excuses, but I like really, really don't do well in the heat. Like I really hate running when it's hot. And so that was, um, that was not so great for me. But you know, <laughs> or but anybody. I, really. Yeah. But like props <laughs> to you for finishing the race, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know that there's some elite runners that, you are elite. You ran at your 42 marathon, but there are some, you know, runners up there like Sarah Hall who decided to drop out because they had their sights set on another race and they didn't want to expend all that energy, you know, but it's like you had this goal to freaking right. qualify for the trials. Like you're going to finish the trials. Right. Exactly. And that, I mean, I say like sometimes like the trials were like my Olympics basically. Like I, I wanted to do well in them and I wanted to, you know, the whole season leading up to it, like I wanted to have another PR, I wanted to have some, you know, another breakthrough and like really just like sort of wrap the whole thing up with a bow and just like it'd be a great day of celebration. And so I was really upset when I sort of finally started to realize that like it was not going to be a PR day and probably, um, you know, the big thing would just be, would just be finishing. But I, um, but like you said, like I had to finish because that was my, this was my Olympics. This was my goal. This was my dream to run the thing and, and to finish. And so like the the course was just like four loops essentially. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember telling myself in the lead up to the race, like, okay, on the fourth loop, like I'm really going to give it all my all. I'm really going to go for that time. I'm really going to like try to pass as many people as I can. And on the fourth loop, I was like, I'm just going to put, one foot in front of the other and try to finish this thing. And my, I had so many friends and family in town to come see me, which was another reason that I wanted to finish. Cause it, they don't really care if I, you know, run a PR or right. not. They were just excited that I was there, but I was like, I'm not going to drop out. Like you guys all came to see me run. 
Um, but my aunt took a video of me at maybe mile 23 or something. And she showed me after she's like, look cool, how cool, like you're running the trials. And in the video, I am like walking. <laughs> oh my God, this is so embarrassing. Like, you know, she was so proud of it, but I was like, don't show this to anybody. This is so terrible. Um, but I just, yeah, I just really wanted to finish. And, um, and yeah, a lot of people didn't for various reasons, like you said, like Sarah Hall and, and people who have, you know, like this is their, uh, their job and they their need career, to, yeah. yeah, you know, make money on another day and save themselves for that. But, um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to, to finish the, the thing. <laughs> now I have a friend here from Indianapolis that ran and I think she got 20th place and Ooh. which would have put her at like a 244 maybe or 240. I mean, she was a solid, like, you know, I want to say eight or 10 minutes slower than like what she was trained for. So, right. and based on what you ran 250, like that sounds like about the same for you. Yeah. Um, because what place did that did that 250 put you in at? 72nd. Okay, okay. So there's a big yeah. gap there, yeah. I, she must, so she must have been like a 240. It, it was over 240, though. I mean, yeah. the, the, the times were slow. I mean, yeah. for I what was it really, was. I was really surprised because my goal, like going into that race or in my training, um, and honestly, I don't know that my training really added up to this anyway, but um, my goal was t- 240. Okay. And when I finished and saw the results of the women who got to 40, like, yeah, I think it was like 15th or 20th place. And I was like, yeah, freaking right. Like, <laughs> what? like it was not a Teal's going to run 240 day, like clearly because of the caliber of the athletes that were running that and how few of them did. Like, totally. Um, it just made me realize like, oh, okay. So, it, you know, it, it was a hot day. Like, really <laughs> there, hot. There's yeah. evidence behind this. Not to mention all the people that dropped out. I mean, there was tons, right? Yeah, yeah. I think like a third of the field or something like that. That might have. There's a third of the one field and a quarter of the other field. I forget which men or women, but yeah. And you think about like those are those are the best marathoners in the country. Like, it's it was tough, and it was it wasn't just that it was hot. I mean, obviously it was very hot, but it was in the middle of the day, and there was like absolutely no shade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just like so many factors that just kind of made it, made it worse. I know like afterward there was a lot of, um, backlash about, you know, what the, the organizers could have done and, um, how they treated the athletes of this race oh, as, yeah. as compared to other trials. And I, I remember I was reading some of the comments on some of the stuff online, which should never do, right? right. Don't read the comments. Um, and there was a bunch of people who were like, oh my God, it wasn't even that hot. Like, I don't know why the athletes are complaining. Like I ran <laughs> Chicago when it was 80 and blah, blah, blah. And like, I get that there are other very hot marathons and this one, you know, is just one of them. I think it was just like, it, it felt a lot hotter than the temperature kind of tells you because it was noon and on a hot street with no shade. Um, uh, and all my, all my friends and family that were there were like, would would confirm that <laughs> they were yeah. like sweating their butts off and I was like running a marathon so did you feel I mean as an athlete did you feel like everything was fine or did you feel like there were things that could have been done differently um I do feel like there were things that could have been do- done differently I you know a lot of the people who kind of spoke out had gone to other um trials races so they kind of had something to compare it to so every um trials race is run by uh, a different organization, depending on like whatever cities it's in. Um, and I thought that, 
Um, you know, there was a lot of talk that there should have been more water on the course um, because there's, you know, a lot of times, even the elites, like they get their own water stops at like New York or Boston or whatever. But in between those elite water stops, you know, they can easily grab water at the stops for, you know, the regular people. Um, whereas in the trials race, like that wasn't an option. So on a really hot day, like there weren't really as many, um, as many stops to, to help us out. And the, there was this issue with the sponges where, they were supposed to give us sponges to like wipe our, our heads off. And, um, they ended up like ordering sponges that were like pre soaped mm. <laughs> and then realizing the day before that they were pre soaped. So they needed different sponges. So then they ended up being like pieces of a t-shirt, um, which was dunked in, in cold water. And honestly, I like thought that they were the greatest things in the world. So I had no qualms about whatever, like the fact that they were dunked in cold water and it was some form of fabric was fine by me, but it was like a little, not great planning. Um, and then the, the major issue really was like the medical, a lot of people complain about the medical staff, um, because some people finished and first of all, there was no food at the finish line of this marathon. That's weird. Um, yeah, I actually, there was supposedly drinks. I found a bottle of Powerade like sitting on a table and I took it and I felt like I was stealing it. (laughs) Um, but apparently that was, I was allowed to do that, but I did kind of do it like, uh, you know, just kind of grab Slide, it real quick slightly. before anyone noticed. Um, so there wasn't like food, there weren't like obvious drinks and that's weird. Yes. It was very weird. And there was a tent right next to where we were, um, you know, had dropped our bags and everything. There was a tent for like VIP and they were having like a buffet lunch. <laughs> we were, who like, were the VIP people like Shalane Flanagan? No, no, no. Like, um, uh, I have no idea. People that didn't. Okay. Yeah. People that didn't run the race. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, no, Shalane Flanagan got no food either. Um, so I mean, that's, is it, is it that they were like, okay, these are elite runners. Like they, they're going to have specific things they want to eat at the end or like on their own. (laughs) I I guess. I don't know. It was really weird to me. I've never, I mean, I've never been to a 5k that doesn't have Mm -hmm. food at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was weird. And there was just like a lot of places where they seemed to cut corners and they didn't give us t-shirts at first, which again, like, have you been to a 5k where they don't give you t-shirts? Um, and they eventually mailed us shirts. So that was very exciting. <laughs> You're like, but, I ran in the Olympic trials here. Yeah. I sort of expected to like really be like, just, um, I don't know, to get all the swag and like feel like really special. And, and, um, I had, you know, watched the trials in 2012. Cause at that point I was really, you know, into like thinking I wanted to make it in 2016. And I saw all the swag they got and like, how they were treated. And so I felt like, Oh, like, you know, this is a huge deal. Like they're going to treat us well. And, and they treated us sort of worse than, than the local 5k, which again, makes me sound like I'm complaining, which again is why these commenters online were (laughs) not happy. But I think the, I think the one thing is, um, the medical staff, like wasn't, wasn't there, there wasn't enough or something. Cause a lot of people complained when they dropped out, um, somewhere along this course that they had to walk back to the start. And, um, you know, that they weren't picked up or, or taken or given fluids or anything. And, and I mean, everyone who watched the trial saw Shalane collapse at the finish and the person to like pick her up was like her husband or something. Like yeah. it wasn't, um, so it was just like, it was just a rough day. And even like you see Shalane collapse, I mean, you know, it was a rough day. I saw, um, Jared Ward actually, they just had a USATF meeting, um, about the trials in, in December. And, um, Jared Ward was, was one of the athletes who spoke up. And he said that, oh, I'm 
going to get the number wrong. I think he lost like 15 pounds or something. <gasps> oh, wow. Because he was so dehydrated. And he was like, there should have been more water on the course. Like, that is insane. Like, yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't know how much he weighs, but you figure <laughs> not very much. So that's got to be like over 10% of his body weight or something insane. So um, I think there were a lot of valid claims to things that could have been done better. You know, my complaining that we didn't get a t-shirt right away is, is maybe not the most important of those, but I do think that, I do hope that in the future they'll, they'll be run a little bit better and they'll be a little more organized in terms of if it is a hot day, if it is, you know, they'll have some kind of better plan in place to, to have more water, to have better sponges or more medical staff. Cause you know, it, it is, it's a smaller marathon than, you know, the LA marathon, which they put on the next day, but it's still, so important to keep the athletes safe and stuff. So yeah, and these are athletes that are like clearly willing to push their body to extreme levels. Right, exactly. That's insane. I I really like I had no idea. That's crazy. I mean, I I heard people talking about it and stuff. And hello, we can see the forecast. Right. We can see <laughs> that it's going to be very hot. Right. We knew that. We knew that. I was trying to avoid it at all costs, and everyone was telling me anyway. Um, but yeah, we that. that. Uh, at least a week before that. So yeah. So I could ask you running questions all day long. I mean, the list could go on. I could spend five hours asking you about this, but um, we have to move on to the next subject. Um, but I want to say that you've inspired me and you've given me uh, no reason to believe that I shouldn't be able to break my little three-hour goal. <laughs> no, for sure you should. You know, and a lot of that is, you know what people like to say? I feel like people say, well, I could do this. You know, if I was in shape, I could do this. And I like to think in my head, I know I can do it. But it's it's like you said, it's like, yeah, but you got to be dedicated and you got to put the work mm-hmm. in, like put the work yeah. in and you can do it. But are you willing, yeah. are you willing to spend that time, that energy, that effort? Are you willing to hurt in those workouts? I mean, yeah, if you're willing to do it, then, you know, yeah, exactly. Hit those goals. OK, so first of all, I have a million other topics that I'm going to try to zoom through, but you guys, Teal is pregnant and she's due in two days, <laughs> like two days. Yes. That's yeah. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. You're asking me all these running questions and I'm like trying to remember back to like when <laughs> I was uh, at, like running. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's it funny. Look like that in a while. Yeah. Um, I actually, so I was recording this podcast, you know, like through my last pregnancy and stuff. And, um, I remember Alicia Montano, I had been like trying to get an interview with her for a while and we kept bouncing back and forth. And finally, when it worked out, I scheduled it and I did her interview the day after I was due. Oh, jeez. And I was like, or I might've been a week. No, yeah, yeah. It was the day after I was due and I was sure I was like going to go into labor when I was having this interview and I didn't, didn't end up having my baby for like another six days. Not to, not to like make you think that's (laughs) going to be your life. Yeah, it's so funny. And so when you, when I emailed you and said, I'd love to have you on, but when are you due? And you said Saturday, I'm like, well, we'll schedule it, but she might have the baby before then. Right, exactly. I just figured might as well try to get it in afterwards, God knows. Yeah, you're going to be, yeah, you're going to be consumed with, with something completely new. And this is, this is her first baby. Yeah. What, um, what does your running look like in your pregnancy this first time? Well, it's, I don't even know. Um, it's, 
looked okay for a while. I was actually really happy and um, glad that I was able to run for through almost all of it, I guess. Um, I The last run I did was last Thursday. So I haven't run since Thursday, but like, you know, that's like nothing. I have a lot of friends, obviously, who, who are runners and who have had children and they um, quite a few of them have said like the day they hit their third trimester, they just like couldn't run anymore because it was just too uncomfortable or whatever. And so I kind of had that in my mind the whole time, like, you know, right around finishing up the second trimester, like, okay, like if, you know, if I can't do this anymore, like that's okay. Like, you know, uh, whatever. Um, it's just, you got, you have to do what your body, you know, can do. Um, and nothing more, obviously. And so then since the third trimester and I've been able to run a little bit and, and, you know, now it's, or now it's nothing, but run, walk, you know, towards the end. Um, I've just felt like, okay, at least I'm, I'm able to do this. Like every day that I can do something is, is a blessing and is good. Um, so I've been lucky in that I've been able to run through most of it. Um, certainly has been a lot less than I'm used to, even mm-hmm. from the start, um, and a lot slower, obviously, as I go along. Um, but, um, yeah, I think right away, so, um, basically, as soon as the trials ended, uh, my husband and I started trying to, to have a baby, and that took a couple months, um, and I was, like, all stressed out that, like, I was going <laughs> to screw something up if I did a workout or ran too far, which is totally not true, and, and I later wrote an article about how that's um, not true. Um, but at the time I was all worried about it. So I, you know, cut my mileage by a lot. I think I was running maybe, maybe 40, maybe 50 miles a week. No, I think I was running like 40, um, and not doing any workouts. And so then when I did get pregnant, um, you know, I hadn't done workouts for a while and I was running less. And so I just kind of like coasted along at that stage for a while. And then eventually, you know, it became less and less and less. And then towards the end, it was, like I said, a a run walk and, you know, every few days. So maybe I was run walking it like two or three times a week. What are you thinking? Are you, I mean, are you just like, just waiting to go into labor? Is that kind of your, you know, they say don't plan anything for birth because you never know. But like, is that kind of your your thing? You're waiting on your contractions to start? (laughs) Yeah, kind of. Um, I don't know. I go through these like moments of denial that like she's going to come. Oh, it's a Uh, girl. Yeah, it's a little girl. Um, And I, I like, I don't know, the beginning of this week, I was just like, she's not coming for a while. Like, we're good. Like, she's just not. And then yesterday, I was like, really feeling like crap. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe she'll feel, maybe she'll come. And now I'm back to like, I don't know. (laughs) So I just like have these moments of denial that, you know, I could go into labor at any minute, but I sort of am like, not believing that that's true. (laughs) It's a really hard thing. Because so I had a C-section with my first baby. And then um, my second baby, my water what nev- didn't really break, but it was like just leaking. And I was mm-hmm. like, I would be going, I would be running and I'd be like, am I just peeing? Like, what is this? Yeah. So I ended yeah. up going in and it, it was broken, but it was like a very slow leak. And then my third baby, um, TMI, especially for any guys listening, <laughs> but whatever, this is like 90% female. Um, <laughs> my third baby, I ended up scheduling an induction because I was a full week overdue. Um, and, and, um, my water broke again, not like you see in the movies where like, it's this huge gush of water. It's just like, I think this is like more than, you know, this is, it's broken. So we went in at 10 PM the night before and I was going to go in at 5 AM for my induction anyway. Um, 
But it's just so funny because you you see this you see on TV and you hear these stories and you're like, oh, when it's actually you and you're due any day and you're just waiting for it, you're like, will I know? Like, yeah, will these right. contractions be strong enough that I know right. I'm in labor? You know, I like I was on my third baby. I was like, I've done this three times now, and I still don't know if I'm in labor right now. Yeah, right. Yeah, I've been having like Braxton Hicks contractions for a while, which are like, uh, I guess for anyone listening, these like sort of fake contractions that um, sort of get your body ready but aren't real and aren't uh, they don't come in like any scheduled increments. But I've been having them for a while, and every time, like if one feels like kind of different, I'm like, <gasps> is that is, is that a real it? one? Like, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> um, and like I sort of have this like, am I, is this happening? Like, mm-hmm. uh, and like you just, I don't know. I have no idea what to expect, so I don't know. So every you know every weird thing I'm feeling, I'm like, what is that? Let's overanalyze the hell out of it. Well, and you don't want to be the one that's like showing up at the hospital just for them to send you back home. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you get your hopes up and you're like, it's really happening. And then you got to yeah. go home and wait. Oh. And Oh man. Yeah. I can remember when I was like five or six days overdue, I was like, surely it's going to be today, but nothing, you know, yeah. and I would feel those. But then I will say, um, and I guess it was a little bit different since I had a C, I didn't labor with my first at all. I had a C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I, I hadn't been through that experience yet, but right. Um, I will say once the water, I knew it was like broken and we were going to have to go in. As soon as we started driving to the hospital, those contractions started picking up where I was like having to breathe through them. And I was like, okay, this is what they're talking about. Like, yeah, this is what they meant when they said I would know. So yeah, that's what I feel like. I'm like, if I'm doubting that I have a contraction, then it's not a contraction. I know you want to believe it is so bad though. (laughs) Like, Oh, this isn't so bad. What are they talking about? You're like, that's not real. (laughs) Yeah. Totally, totally. A funny story, just while we're on it, is when this last baby, the the nurse, uh, the one of the residents, she checked me and told me I was nine centimeters. Mm-hmm. And then another resident, like a more experienced resident, came in and checked me, and she was like, "Oh no, honey, you're only four centimeters." What? Yes, and I I had been like. Oh. on the verge of tears like freaking out because I was like oh my gosh I have to do this without out an epidural can I handle it like oh, I'm scared yeah. but like it's go time if I'm nine centimeters and then she told me that and I was like it was almost a mixed bag of like disappointed because I thought yeah. we were there and I had like I was like man I'm like a rock star I got through all those you know what I'm nine centimeters yeah. but then I was like relieved because I thought okay I get to have my epidural <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah oh man but like Taking you backwards five centimeters. Oh, I know. I know. I felt, you know, I really felt bad for the resident, though, because I think she was probably, like, a first-year resident, and she was probably super embarrassed that she told me that, you know? And looking back, she had been, she was, like, (laughs) checking me for a long time, and I was like, does she not, like, why, get out of there, like, come on, (laughs) exit the premises, please. Yeah, you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, yeah, 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 well, you know, and I sent you that email, it's like, people are gonna, I feel like your first baby, people give you advice all the time, because Mm -hmm. they don't know what else to say, you know? (laughs) And they just yeah. want to make you, they want to give you the best advice that um, they heard. And so yeah. it's, it's funny. Um, and for everybody listening, I sent Teal an email and I just kind of like, you know, if you ever need anything, let me know. I'm happy to be an ear. And it's funny because when I sent you that email, I had like typed up, typed it up. And then I said something different. And I was like, okay, Lindsay, 
don't say anything that's giving her advice. <laughs> like, just tell her, like, if she ever has questions, she can reach yeah. out to you. Because you don't want to yeah. be that person. Yeah. I feel like more so even than it, than advice, people like to share, like, what went wrong. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, great, that's something I hadn't considered or thought about or worried about that now is in my mind. And, yes. it, and I think it's just like, you know, you know, people like to tell their story and people like to say like, Oh, this, you know, this happened. And then like, I came out of it, you know, it's like a, it's a, you know, everything's fine in the end. Yeah. A good ending. But I'm just like, I don't really, I don't really need to know. Yeah. I don't want to think about anything that could be a complication. Yes. But that's people love to tell you about their complications and, and how hard it was and whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, that's lovely, but yeah. go think about something else. Yes. Oh, man. And, okay, so before we finish up with our end of the podcast questions, I also have to tell everybody, you have a Ph.D. in neuroscience. Yes. That seems like a really smart – that seems like a really smart thing. <laughs> um, it sounds like that, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so what did you get your undergrad in? Uh, I was double major in math and psychology. Okay, math. Wow. And then yeah. you got your master's in. I didn't. I went okay. so with um, with most science programs, you just go kind of straight from. Well, I I went from undergrad, then I worked for two years in a lab doing research, kind of beefing up my resume to get into grad school, and um, I just started off in a PhD program. So if I had quit like halfway through, I would have walked away with a master's, but. Um, the idea is you just kind of go straight through and, and, and end up with a PhD. So how many years was that? Five. Oh, wow. So four years of undergrad and five years of that? Yeah. <laughs> Damn. What does your husband do? He is a software developer. So okay. we're just like a bunch of nerds. <laughs> and now you're a freelance writer. Yes. And is that kind of your, is that what you want to do forever or what? Yeah, I think so. Um, so I, I started, I did the PhD in neuroscience because I thought that I like wanted to be a scientist um, and do, you know, work in a lab and, and study the brain and stuff like that. And then somewhere along the way, I just realized that if, if you do that and, and you work in a lab, you like can only sort of dedicate your whole life to this like one minuscule part of the brain mm-hmm. or molecule in the brain or disease or something. And um, I just... Um, I just thought there was too many other cool things that I wanted to read about and learn about and, and whatever. And so I, I got into writing and um, realized that as a science writer, which is what I am now, I can, I can like talk to all these researchers and learn about what they're studying. Um, but like one day I might write about Alzheimer's disease and another day I might write about um, something completely different. Like I write about running sometimes. So um, I just, I sort of realized that, um, I really liked, you know, having the option to kind of explore all these other things and, and write about them. And my my um, hope is that I can sort of translate what's going on in a lab that's, you know, super confusing and kind of shrouded in this level of vocabulary that neuroscientists use that normal people don't mm-hmm. and be able to kind of translate that to um, to to regular people and, and who read, you know, online stuff or magazines or the newspaper or whatever. Um, so I, I've been doing that for about two years now and I really like it. Um, freelancing is difficult for many reasons, but, um, I really like, like I said, like the flexibility that I can write about whatever I want and, 
and kind of there's always something new and exciting and um and that's that's been fun so obviously you freelance for runner's world because you that's the article <clears throat> you were writing you were writing for them when you reached out to me about mm -hmm. the article who else mm -hmm. do you do freelance for usually um, so usually it's more like sciencey stuff that, okay. um, so like Discover Magazine is one that most people have heard of, um, but also New Scientist and then like online stuff. Um, she wrote a piece for the Washington Post, which should be um, hopefully coming out soon. And then I write, well, I wrote for new, the Running Running Times before I went defunct, which was sad, um, and outside. And then I also do like some more boring stuff where I write like press releases for mm -hmm. um, like NIH divisions of NIH and stuff like that, which, um, which pays the bills. <laughs> right. So kind of all over the place. I'm always like looking for, for new places to write for and, and in different ways. Um, are you planning to give yourself a little bit of a, I, it's hard when you're, when you work for yourself as far as yeah. like maternity leave, are you planning to give yourself a little bit of that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I actually don't know completely in what capacity I'll, I'll come back, um, or when, but I'm certainly going to take a couple months off, um, which like you said, it, it's hard because, you know, I work for myself. I don't get a maternity leave. So right. um, uh, I'm going to take a couple months off and then just kind of see where I'm at and kind of, uh, you know, what makes sense and maybe, and maybe try to just write part-time for a while. And, and I don't know, just kind of call it by year, which is nice. Uh, it's a, you know, a benefit of, of working for yourself. You have more flexibility in that. Yeah, and it's true, too. It's like you don't know what your mental, emotional, physical state's going to be like right after the baby. So, right. you know, like maybe in two weeks you'll be like, I kind of feel like writing. But maybe you're going to be like, hell no, I don't want to write yeah. anything or do any of that for like a solid 12 weeks, you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. Hey, let's do our end of the podcast questions. Um, sure. What is – oh, what's one thing you'd like to do professionally or personally that you haven't done yet? I actually really like to write a book at some point. Um, I don't know what it would be about yet, but I would really like to write a book. <laughs> okay. I love that. And um, gosh, I feel like writing a book. I mean, you have this idea for a book and it takes what, like five years to, yeah, <laughs> depends, but do you think it would be more sciencey or do you think it would be running or a combo? Um, I don't know. I, I sometimes I think like I like to like turn my blog into like a more extensive book with like more mm -hmm. advice mm -hmm. and like um, uh, kind of like my story plus like how to do it yourself kind of thingy. Oh my if gosh, you could totally do that. Be interested in that? <laughs> I think that would be fun. Um, and sometimes I think um, like more sciencey. Like uh, there's a lot of I don't know big topics that I think you could devote a whole book to. Um, but that would. The research into that would be, you know, a lot. So oh, sure, totally. That's um, years down the road. And speaking of that, um, what was I going to ask you? Something about your experience. Oh, gosh. I had a really good question that I was, like, dying to know the answer to. Hold on a second. Let me see if I can pull it out of my brain here. Okay. Oh, my goodness. What was it? I don't know. It'll come back to me later, and then it won't fit into the conversation. <laughs> That's so frustrating. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, well, that's okay. Okay, so you'd like to write a book. That's good. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Um, I think it's cliche, but just really to believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, yeah, like we talked about earlier, just, uh, you know, I just think it's so critical to to believe in yourself and to um, have that confidence and, and not to put these artificial limits, 
on yourself. And, and if you want to go after something, just go after it and, and see what happens. It's good. Yeah. I think a lot of people put the artificial limits on like, Oh, I can never qualify for Boston or I can never break four hours. I can never break three hours. And it's like, but really have, yeah. have you started little by little going for that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you could have coffee or a cocktail with anyone, who would it be? I think it would, this is such a fangirl in me, but I think it would be Kara Goucher. Mm. And she's just like my idol. And I just, um, yeah. <laughs> um, it. I've had some awkward interactions with her and oh, I, gosh. <laughs> I feel like I would like to have like an actual coffee. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Like what you mean? Like you met her at a race or something and you were like nervous or. Yes exactly that Ugh. and and like I shouldn't be nervous so like one time I um we were running the rock and roll Philly um half mm-hmm. and so I was in like the elite tent with her and we were um going like standing in line for the porta potties before the race started and the line was like not moving you know and like the the race directors are like you guys need to get to the line and like yelling at us yelling at us and so Kara Goucher is in front of me in this line and she turns around and is like do you think we could just like pee behind the porta potties? Like, who cares? <laughs> and I should have been like, yeah, totally, like, good idea. But I just like made this weird, indiscriminate noise, like, caring ah, <laughs> like, <"Gary, laughs> to me. <laughs> I don't know what to do. And like, I should have, you know, been cooler. Like, I'm in the elite thing too. Like, yeah, we, whatever. Anyway, it was totally awkward. And she was like, okay, I'm just going to do that. <laughs> That's hysterical. And you know what? If you ever do sit down and have coffee or cocktail with her, which I'm sure you will one day, you get to tell her that story and it'll be hysterical. Be like, okay, so you're the weirdo who <laughs> know how to talk to people. Yes. Cool. You're the girl that I thought was like, thought it was weird that I wanted to go pee behind the porta potties. Now, did, <laughs> did you end up going to pee behind the porta potties? I didn't because after she got out of line, then I don't know, there was like one more person. Somehow, I, as, I actually got into the porta potty before she came back from peeing behind the porta potty. <laughs> That's awesome. You know what? I just thought, I don't know how I'm going to fit this in, but I just thought of what I was going to ask you about your book and everything. Um, and I know I've had a couple people reach out to me interested in actually having someone just like you on the show, someone who, you know, knocked this goal down and then. Like, were you working full-time? Were you going to school full-time when you were training? Like, what was your everyday, like, real life, like, outside of running when you were um, training to run that sub-243? Yeah, so I was, I got my PhD and graduated um, in the June of 2014, and I qualified in um, December. So I had just started my freelance writing career, um, but really a lot of, you know, a lot of the training that went into that, you know, wasn't just those six months, it was the years before. And, um, for those years I was in a graduate school program, which, um, a lot of people think like, Oh, you just like go to a class and then go home and work and I don't know, read or something, but actually it's way more intense than that. It's basically like having a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Um, some of the people, some of the, um, advisors like expect their students to be in the lab like 60 hours a week. I, worked less than that. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, it was a full-time job where I was expected to be there like nine to six or whatever every day. And on the weekends, like do some, um, experiments, but I would always, I sort of thought of myself as like trying to be really efficient and like, I would, you know, get in every day and like try to get, have a plan for like all my experiments and how they're going to fit together and how I was going to get out 
at a reasonable hour so that I could go home and eat dinner and go to bed and get up and run and like try to fit everything in. Um, and, and on the weekends when I would come into the lab, I would sometimes like run to the lab or I would run like while an experiment was, was, you know, kind of running in the background. And so I just like tried to fit in all the training, like as best I could and, and just tried to be efficient with everything. And then when I graduated and I was a freelance writer, I was working from home, um, which made things a bit easier, but I still like, I basically, I really thrive on routine and I knew that I wouldn't succeed as a writer unless I like worked, you know, 40 hours a week. Like a lot of the things that people say to writers is like, the big thing is just getting your ass in the chair, like Mm -hmm. sit down and do the work. So I really tried to still stick to a schedule of like, maybe I work like 10 to six or seven, um, and, and not let my running take away from that because I think like, like I said, I I wanted to succeed as a writer. So, um, I was definitely working full time the whole way through. Um, and, and just trying to have a routine and, you know, get up at the crack of dawn and get the run in and, and out of the way and then go to work and, you know, repeat. What do you think, do you think it's weird when, like, what, do you think it would have been weird of you to say I'm just going to solely focus on running and and put all this to the side for now or would that have ever even you know some people do that because they're like I don't want to be an elite runner like I want to you know put everything into that like is what do you think about that yeah so that's a good question because there's definitely like some people who thrive off of um having something else going on Mm -hmm. right so like that running isn't their sole focus Mm mm-hmm so they have, you know, jobs or part-time jobs at least um, to try to keep them, um, I don't know, uh, balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's people that are the opposite um, and, you know, would just love to run and that's it. And I think, honestly, I, if I could, I would love to just run. Right. <laughs> and then nap and then, you know. <laughs> get a massage. Get a massage and eat a, eat a good, you know, meal or whatever. But um, I just haven't been able to do that, uh, financially. So (laughs) that hasn't really been an option, but I do think that that would be great. I don't think I'm necessarily one of those people that needs to have, um, something else going on, but I, I was able to do it like anyway. And, uh, and I think, yeah, like either way I would have to have some kind of routine in my life. And I just tried to make it work with the routine that I, that I had. Well, and not to mention like you're going to school for nine years here. You want to you want to <laughs> probably use that a little bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Were you wearing a New Balance top? Were you sponsored by anybody? Yeah, in the trials I was. Um, I so my team that I ran for uh, in DC, Georgetown Running Club, right around the time of the trials, they um, ended up getting sponsored by Pacers, which is a local DC running store, and New Balance. Okay. And so I got to wear this like fancy kit uh, at the trials. Um, and since, and so the team is now sponsored and they get clothes and, and some money, um, from them that they used to send people to track races and things like that. Um, but since then, since the trials, I have moved and have gotten pregnant. So I have not really, uh, taken advantage of that <laughs> sponsorship. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun to, to wear the singlet in the, in the trials and feel like, um, you know, more like a pro, even though they're not actually paying me. Yeah. They're just supporting our team. Um, the new balance, I don't know if you have this tank top, the, I think it's called the perfect tank. Mm, I don't know what I'm talking about. 
Well, mm-hmm. the reason I'm bringing it up is it was an amazing maternity shirt. Like, oh. and it's actually an amazing non-maternity shirt too. It was only, so I bought it when I was like six weeks pregnant or six months pregnant, sorry. Um, Cause it has that cinching on the side that gives, it like stretches uh-huh. and yeah. it stretches in a way that still looks flattering. Like it accentuates like, you know, like the belly and I'm wearing it again and it, and I love it. The only time it didn't look good is um, like the first like 10 weeks post baby when I was really still looked like I was pregnant. Um, yeah. And it was that time where you're like, are you 12 weeks pregnant or did you just have a baby? Kind of look, yeah. you know? Um, but I'm loving it again. So it's like, you know, it's hard to find maternity shirts, uh, uh, yeah. like workout tank tops. Yes, it um, is. That was like my go-to though. I should, I'm surprised I didn't buy it in like three colors. Yeah. Um, okay. So what are you loving right now? Is there anything you're recently into? Not really. I feel like I'm in this like pregnancy, I don't know what fog, but, um, I would say food is what I'm into mostly right now. <laughs> so, um, Halo Top, which is this like protein, uh, like low sugar, high protein ice cream, which is actually like, I've never been into diet ice cream. Cause I'm like, if you're going to eat ice cream, eat ice cream. Right. But this is actually surprisingly good. And I'm always concerned that I'm like not getting enough protein. So, um, I, I tried it and I, I think it's really good. And every flavor I've had has been, um, has been good. Although I do like sometimes have halo top and sometimes have, you know, the good fatty fat Blue stuff. Bell. Um, yeah. <laughs> And then the other thing, this is like just something I found in like the last week or so, is at Trader Joe's they have this juice called, um, I think it's called like the Power of Seven, and it has um, like all these fruits that you're supposed to eat, but like probably don't, like Mm -hmm. pomegranates and tart cherries and blueberries, and I I can't remember the others, but there's seven. Um, And it's really good, and like no sugar added or anything. Nice. And so I started drinking that which I really like but yeah mostly I'm just like I'm just like all about food right now (laughs) donuts and cheeseburgers and you know you know how it is yes I do and after you have that baby I don't know if you'll have this or not but I always had in the middle of the night for the first like three months post baby I'm up eating cereal in the middle of the night just like I was when I was pregnant (laughs) a lot of people have told me about the middle of the night benches yeah I specifically remember after my first being at my in-laws house and I I mean my first he was probably a couple weeks old and I remember just getting up and just like downing these Oreos just like at two in the morning yeah yeah your body's making that milk so you're like I'm hungry Yeah. I like, oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm not pregnant. I'm like a really hungry person, Uh even when I'm not training. So like, I mean, pregnancy, you know, it's just been eating my face off and now like breastfeeding. Oh my God. Oh gosh. Yeah. Hungry all the time. Yeah. It's like on another level, which who knows I even had that. So (laughs) yeah. What's the best, most recent book you've read? I read Small Great Things by um, Jody. I actually don't know how to pronounce it. I just read it. Yes. I should not have read that during pregnancy. Oh, no uh, kidding. Because it's about, it's about a, right away you find out that it's right. about a baby who, who dies. But um, No kidding. I yeah. literally. But I thought it was so good anyway. Like I, I was like crying and reading it and uh-huh. people were like, stop reading that. Like it's keeping you up at night. And I'm like, I know, but it's so good. 
I just thought the writing was good and I just really liked it. I read, I just finished that book probably a couple weeks ago and I remember thinking, I'm really glad I didn't start reading this while I was still pregnant. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, yeah, there were a lot of reasons I should not have been reading that book when I was, but um, it was good. And now I'm actually reading another one of her books called Leaving Time. Cause her I books just are good. Yeah. Oh, great. She's a good yeah. writer. And, you know, yeah. I really, so for people listening, the book Small Great Things, it's, it's a book about racism in modern time, like in today's world. And I really liked, I don't know if you read uh, her notes at the end of the book. Yeah. Um, she's a white woman and she was kind of like, you know, I wanted to write this book for a long time, but I never felt like I was maybe the right person to do it. And then she finally, like, I don't know if I want to say she had the guts to finally, like, pull the trigger and do it. But I'm really glad she did because it's a really good book. And I could totally understand what she's saying, like, feeling uncomfortable writing a book about racism as a white female in America. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, but I, I just thought it was really... And it's also scary because, you know, one of the main characters is this, like, white supremacist. And it's mm-hmm. it's hard. It was hard for me to get through those chapters as well. Like, yeah, um, does that really still exist? It's crazy. Yeah, and, and it does. And it's it's scary. But, yeah, one of the many reasons I should not have been reading this book. Yeah. But I still really liked it. And I just, I thought it was really, really well researched and, and written. And, yeah, and it's one of those books where they go through the perspective of all the different characters. So the white supremacist guy a woman who is a black nurse and she's the main character. And so, yeah, I mean, I love books that go, that get you in the head of the different characters and she does a great job with that. Yeah. Especially when they're like, you know, maybe they're people you hate or whatever, but it's Uh good to see their, as disturbing as their thought process may be. It gets you to know them a little bit more. It's yeah. yeah, She did a great job with that. What is there a, or do you guys watch any shows? Yeah, mostly um, like Modern Family and that uh-huh. kind of thing. But I also, um, I'm really weirdly into the Baking Championship on uh, Food Network. They just wrapped up this like kids baking championship, which was, I really like to bake. So um, this was like the cutest thing ever where it's like 10 and 12 year olds that are like baking these elaborate dishes. And I just like, I got really into it and like recorded it every week and like, you know, was rooting for my, my kid. Um, and now they're having a, a spring baking championship, which I also really like cause I like, um, I really like like holidays and decorations and all that kind of stuff. So I really, um, I watch that show kind of religiously, even though it's like not a show you should watch religiously. It's like a cooking show, but anyway, do you, what's your favorite thing to bake? <laughs> That's a good question. Basically anything with chocolate, um, or frosting. I really like making frosting. Do you have a nonprofit you like to support? This is totally biased. So I'll just put it out there. My cousin runs a nonprofit okay. um, called Classes for Classes. And it's basically a, um, a way to get like elementary kids to learn to like give and to pay it forward. And so um, what happens is one class of elementary school students will request a, a gift of like, uh, I don't know, some kind of technology or school supplies that they may need. And another class helps raise money to, to give it to them. And then the receiving class, in order to actually get the gift, they have to promise to, to do the same for another class, to raise money and help give a gift to another needy class. So it's sort of this way of paying it forward um, and just teaching kids to be generous and, and giving. Um, so, yeah, it's called Classes for Classes if people want to look it up. What a great nonprofit. That's so good. Yeah. I'm entering the stage where my oldest is going to be five this summer, and 
I'm like, man, I really need to focus on talking to him about these things. And like uh, one of the girls on the podcast, this podcast, Erin, she, uh, the nonprofit she said, said she liked to support was Charity Water. So I was like on their website and I was watching this video and this isn't anything new. You see kids doing this all the time. But this little boy, instead of getting gifts for his birthday, was raising money for charity water. And so I watched the video with my son, Marshall, and I was like, you know, kind of talking to him about it a little bit. And so since then, we've kind of been talking about how there are people in the world that don't have clean water. And I kind of put in his head, like, do you want to maybe do this for your birthday? And he just keeps saying, but people are going to still bring me presents, right? (laughs) And so it's like, you know, what's the balance between letting them be kids and doing these things, but also instilling that like heart for giving and caring for other people and not being for lack of a better term, greedy, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. Um, but definitely good. At least, you know, it's good that people are even thinking about it. So that sounds like a really amazing organization. I'm going to look it up and I'll put it in the show notes for sure. Okay, great. Um, and then last question is, do you have any favorite people to follow on social media? Well, I think as I admitted with the Kara story, I'm quite a fangirl. So okay. I follow all the, you know, Desi, Kara, uh-huh. um, <clears throat> Emma Coburn, I recently started following. She's always like running in really gorgeous places looking gorgeous. Um, <laughs> with her beautiful blonde hair. Yeah, I mean, it's like, seriously, it's a joke. But um, <clears throat> I, I definitely like, you know, following all these um elite, uh, athletes. Um, and then, um, yeah, I don't know what else really. I, um, I started following this guy on Twitter whose, um, handle is exploding unicorn only the, it's, um, just like the letter X floating unicorn. And he, um, talks about, he just like, he's a comedian and he writes about his kids all the time. Um, so they're like really funny, like jokes about children and, you know, kids being witty and funny and stuff. So I started, following that recently and I always get a kick out of his tweets. Oh, that's um, good. I love that. It's like the one, um, Oh, honest toddler. Do you know that one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think I got to it from one of these like Buzzfeed lists of like uh-huh. hilarious parents being honest about being parents. And then I saw he had like made the list like three times and I was like, okay, I should just follow him because clearly he's funny. <laughs> worth, yeah. He's worth it. If he's made the list this many times. Yeah. Well, good luck. Thank you. I know that you've got a big week ahead of you, so I will I will be sure to be stalking social media to see. Um, <laughs> are you one of those people that will post, like, the day she's born, or will you be, like, all stealthy and, and secretive and post, like, a week later and say, so-and-so was born last Thursday? Um, probably somewhere in the middle of that. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I'll post right away, but I will certainly post at some point. Well, best of luck. You will do great. You are an endurance athlete built for labor. (laughs) Uh, I hope so. (laughs) You'll do great. Thank you so much for taking your time to talk to me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, we'll talk soon. All right, bye. Bye. All right, guys. Thank you so much, Teal, for coming on the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Now Foods, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. You guys go to now-2-u.com to save 25% off your next order. Use the promo code ANOTHER, all caps. All right, and do not forget, you guys, my call-in show. Next Friday, April 14th at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Call me up on Skype, dust off that password. It's lindsay.hein, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y dot H-E-I-N. I will have that information in the show notes. 
call me up, ask me your podcast questions, ask me your running questions, just anything you want to know. Just call me up and ask me. Like I said, hopefully people actually call, right? I'm super excited about the potential of that show. I think it's going to be really fun as long as people call. So somebody write it down. Somebody call me so that I don't feel like an idiot. (laughs) All right, you guys, you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. And if you just head over to Facebook, uh, it's just I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. Guys, have a wonderful weekend. Have a wonderful Friday. And, And as always, I'll see you next Friday.